Welcome to Weed Nerds. Welcome to Weed Nerds, the number one podcast for East Coast cannabis growers. I'm your producer, the Whiskey Geek, and I'm here to introduce your co-hosts, Cannamouse, Barty Meatman, and Grower Bing. Our goal is to provide you with the best available stories, news, and advice from the cannabis growing world. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, please email, tweet, or message us on Facebook, and we will do our best to respond on the podcast. And welcome to Weed Nerds of the East Coast. I am Canna Mouse, and this is the inaugural episode, the 420 edition of Weed Nerds of the East Coast. Um, we're pretty excited to start uh, this little adventure with you today. Uh, we hope to give you some really great information, and that information is going to come from uh, my fellow growers, Bing. How you doing, Bing? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you very much. Of course, Barty Meatman is part of the show as well, master of the infused jerky and the king of high ideas. Barty, what's going on? Not much today. <laughs> and our lovely and talented producer, the Whiskey Geek. Hey, Jeff. How are you this evening, sir? Doing great. Awesome. So, as I said, this is the very first edition of Weed Nerds of the East Coast, the official podcast of the Maritime Cannabis Cultivators Facebook group. And I certainly hope that we've got a few of our membership uh, listening today. Uh, remarkable news, fellows. Um, the uh, MCC has grown to 500 members officially, I believe, as of Friday today that we're recording this. 500. Wow. Just to give you a bit of background on where we've come from and why we're here. Uh, we started the MCC as we entered lockdown last year. Maritime Cannabis Cultivators was an idea that a couple of us had so that we could still stay hanging out together and talking about our passion. And we happened to be weed nerds. That was our passion. We felt we should start a group and share that information. Started out with 12 of us and one year later, 500. I am utterly blown away by that. And uh, in large part, that is due to the gentleman with me today. There are a number of other people that are, are well worthy of mentioning. Uh, Jen Guimond, uh, Ralph the Mixer, Logan, all of the people that make MCC a wonderful place to be and share ideas about cannabis, talk about the plant, how to grow it, how to prepare it, all of these things. And that's where we're at today the extension of that into a podcast, or as we like to call it, the podcast. Our first episode is a little bit all over the board. We're going to talk a bit about legalization from the perspective of an MP. Um, we're going to talk about some cultivation ideas. Specifically, we're going to talk about uh, getting ready to grow outdoors. We've got the ideas segment where Barty Meatman is going to talk a bit about some of his uh, ideas and his inventions that he's come up with over the last little while. And today we're going to wrap it all up with just a panel discussion among the four of us talking about things to come and what we hope to get out of this podcast and what we hope you get out of this podcast more importantly. Without further ado, 
I think it's time we turned our attention to the news. Oh, Whiskey Geek. So in news, Mexico is set to legalize marijuana. This legalization will send them straight to the top of the list for the world's largest market for cannabis. It has been passed by the lower house and is going to the Senate. Now, there's still some issues in Mexico around it. They still have a lot of uh, division there. But as it stands, uh, if this goes through and the Senate approves what the lower house has put forward, 120 million people will be eligible to be part of the largest market for legal cannabis in the world. And the way they're doing it is completely different than the way Canada does it. From what I've read, the Mexican government is planning on allowing local producers to grow and sell their cannabis legally for recreational and for medicinal purposes. And this is what countries are going to aspire to as this rolls out. The economy is booming and they will see the taxes that they're going to rake from that is going to it's going to help them. I, I guess I, I, I agree to a point, but I think that Mexico is a special case. The big deal with respect to cannabis in Mexico and a number of other substances is there is a massive level of control uh, in organized crime. And I'm wondering if this is my this is my fear. I'm wondering if allowing people to grow for sale puts a target on them and creates exactly. problems because I think that in the black market you don't want to give up you don't want to give up what you've what you've acquired over the years. So that would be my one concern. But I do think that the idea is the right one. I think that we should be able to grow what we need to, grow what we want to, and if we're willing to have it tested and quality assurance all through that, we should be allowed to sell it into the system. I don't see the issue there. I don't understand this overarching concern uh, from the nanny state to control every aspect of what we're doing with this plan. But that's just my thoughts. Bing? And congratulations, Mexico. Right congratulations, on. Mexico. And the fact that the vote was 316 to 129 really speaks volumes to the fact that the Mexican people have spoken and it's going to be passed through. I, I really hope that uh, that uh, our friends in the United States are paying attention. They are now going to be stuck between two cannabis selling nations. Go. It's funny you mention that, Jeff, because another story I was reading this week in the High Times, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is actually pushing to advance federal legalization of cannabis in the United States. And he even mentioned in an interview that he'll do it with or without President Biden. And I think Schumer's on the right track. Uh, I think he sees the writing on the wall. I think in 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 um, in the Congress, in the lower house, they see the, the writing on the wall. The problem with Biden is that he's a product of a generation. In this particular situation, his entire lifetime has been anti-cannabis. So to expect this man to shift gears like that, I think is a little bit silly, but Chuck Schumer taking the fight to the floor of the Senate, that's gonna be a big deal. And I really, really think that it's gonna work out well. Go ahead, Mr. Bing. I agree, and I think 
It's only a matter of time before the American government legalizes recreational marijuana nationwide. And when they do, they're going to be looking to the jurisdictions who have already done it successfully, like Colorado, Washington. And you can see how their economies have boomed, how their education has uh, received big infusions of money from these successful rollouts. And, and I'm sure that the American feds are going to roll it out the same way. And, it, and it's kind of going to put Canada as the odd man out because Mexico and the United States are going to open their markets. And Canada is still going to be stuck in this government-owned system with a black market that is thriving. And the black market is indeed thriving. And I do, I agree with you on that point as well. I think that we're not going to have a choice and I welcome that. Um, it's it's going to be interesting times for the next little while for sure. Uh, I mean, there are, there is always going to be a black market. I mean, we're never going to get rid of the black market. I mean, even with alcohol, there's still a black market. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we're, we're like, maybe this will push Canada to change its laws about cannabis that as they see how this mexico does it as how the states does it maybe that will push them to change the laws to basically make more for the government and you know that the federal government in the united states is eyeing the tax money that would come from legalization federally as well they have to know that money that's a that's a windfall i would be utterly thrilled to be taxed on the cannabis i grow and sell if I were to be in that position where I was selling weed, I would absolutely, if I'm selling into the system, absolutely, please test my product. Please put regulations in to protect me and my consumers. Tax the hell out of me because I know the value of this plant and I'm quite happy to contribute to my country to do it. So, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, if you're magically listening to this, we want to give you our tax dollars. Full stop. And you will get our tax dollars if you do this, and lots of them. I, I just want to. I'm I'm kind of interested to see what this means in border crossings. Um, it's going to be. It will of, be interesting. Speaking as somebody who's uh, who has uh, had uh, a couple of issues a time or two in doing that. That sounds like a story for another day, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in in response, I guess the last story we'll wrap it up with a, an interesting story from Canada where uh, just outside of Moose Jaw, the RCMP pulled over a vehicle. Actually, it was a uh, one of the, uh, the truck safety inspections, pulled over a vehicle there and found 4,000 pounds of marijuana in the back. So they called, they called the Moose Jaw RCMP detachment who showed up and found that there, when they measured it, there was 4,000 pounds of marijuana in there. So for those of us that are growers, that adds up to 64,000 one-liter mason jars, if you're wondering what 4,000 <laughs> pounds look like. What do you first, think of that? First off, what a horrid waste. Second, there is a brilliant quote that encapsulates my entire position on just about everything related to legalization. And this is from the uh, RCMP corporal in a, in a media release, who was acting as a spokesperson. While cannabis has been legalized in Canada, it is important to know that not all cannabis is legal. Have you ever heard a more ridiculous statement in your life? But it really does sum up the current state of events. It's, it's, it's pretty horrific. I know that the world looks at us and goes, oh, they've legalized cannabis. They must be so happy. I can honestly tell you that for the vast majority of Canadians, yeah, it's great. 
when you try to control the market, organized crime will come and thrive. Every time. Every time. Without fail. I'm not saying that we need the free market that people sometimes assume Adam Smith means the invisible hand. He meant something completely different, by the way. You really need to read your economics if you think that this means unfettered capitalism. It doesn't. We need a strong regulatory background. We need strong testing. We need strong QA. We've got to keep the public safe and we've got to adhere to standards, but we should be free to practice and we should not have to worry about coming up with a million dollars as our entry into the market. That is that is just makes it impossible for a small player to, to do that. I mean, Jeff was right. We should have our voices heard. Um, I encourage everyone to reach out to their MP and have our voices heard on how we'd like to proceed with cultivation and the laws around cultivation. Well, as the guy that spent a couple of weeks trying to find a couple of dozen mason jars last summer because they were sold out everywhere, that still blows me away. How many mason jars it would take? 64,000. That's a, I'm glad to see you putting your math skills to such good use there, Whiskey Geek. So that's a great segue into our next piece where Canamouse had an opportunity to speak with Wayne Long, our local member of parliament for St. John Rosse, and there was a lot of discussion around that. Jeff, take it away. And we did have a, we'd had a, a nice far-ranging conversation. We did keep it civil because Mr. Long is not responsible in any way, shape, or form for policy regarding cannabis. He just has some views, and I wanted to get his information or his views on what's going on and what's coming. And uh, it was really, really informative. I learned a lot, and I got some great ideas from Wayne. On today's episode, we have a special guest. Uh, Our local MP, Wayne Long, is here to talk about a few issues surrounding legalization. Uh, Wayne, just to give you a little bit of insight here, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time. Happy to be here, Jeff. I truly appreciate it. Just to give you a bit of background about the idiots that you're talking to, um, we are the weed nerds of the East Coast, and we are utterly dedicated to growing cannabis for personal use, whether that's medical or recreational. Um, We're part of a larger group uh, called Maritime Cannabis Cultivators. It's a Facebook group. with about getting up to 500 members as we were having this conversation. Wow, so awesome. we have a very active, a very engaged community, and we all have questions and we all have views about legalization, me probably more than most. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to sort of put that aside because that's not what this is about. What this is yep. about is just to get your view, to get your impressions of legalization in Canada and what we can look forward to from uh, from the government in uh, months and years to come. I guess we would like to talk to you initially about your experience being in government during the legalization process for cannabis in Canada. And to well, start off with, um, I'd just like to, to loft up a nice straight up one for you. Uh, 2018 was uh, quite a year for us. Um, and I cannot imagine the morass that you had to go through to move a piece of legislation that is, whether I believe it needs to be or not, very controversial. Yep. So I guess just to 
give us an idea of what it was like. What was the mood like among your fellow MPs and and the senior bureaucracy when this was going on and making its final push? Well, I mean, look, I, I'm going to go back real quickly to, you know, 2015 when I decided to run as a member of parliament and, you know, looked at different parties and platforms. And um, I liked what the liberal platform uh, brought to the table with respect to, you know, progressive policies. Uh, no disrespect to my Green and NDP friends um, who also have some wonderful um, progressive policies. But, you know, um, with the NDP sitting at, you know, now 28 seats and whatever, the Greens sitting at three seats, they just weren't going to form government. So, you know, the, the Liberal Party, its policies um, attracted me. And, and obviously, you know, 2015 came and um, you know, there was a lot of talk about the legalization of cannabis. And, um, you know, I'm not uh, personally a regular user. Um, I do certainly enjoy um, a gummy here and there. You know, uh, like I say, I, 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 I like I like the gummies. I think it, it, it re it's relaxing, um, you know, certainly a different feel than consuming alcohol. Um, but, you know, I was obviously supportive in the end. I was supportive of the legalization of cannabis. And I was shocked. You know, we obviously put forth, I think it was C4, uh, C45 um, that we put forth in uh, April of 2017. And, you know, to put a bill forward, take some time, you know, first reading, second reading, um, back to uh, committee third reading, Senate, back and forth. And I'll be honest, guys, I was shocked by the pushback we received um, from a fair amount of people in the riding. Now, you know, I would call it a vocal minority, but, you know, people were coming in thinking that, um, you know, we were unleashing um uh, mayhem through the country and, you know, buildings were going to start burning and chunks of uh, the, the sky were going to start falling in and the world as we knew it was going to change. And, you know, I, I used to have people come in my office and, you know, I'd say to them, Jeff, I'd say, do you understand that Canada has the highest per capita consumption of cannabis amongst youth? in the world and you understand that it's happening like it's already happening everybody this isn't something that you know we're going to legalize cannabis and all of a sudden all these kids and people and so on and so forth are going to start smoking it like you know i would here, here's a great example um, and I, I walked into a room once with a bunch of youth. And, um, you know, they were getting ready to go out and, you know, clearly had smoked some marijuana. So, you know, say it was a room of 15 youth. So I said to them, hey, you guys had a few joints here. And yeah, we did. Well, where did you get it? Well, we got it from Crickets. our buddy. Oh, okay. Well, where'd your buddy get it? Well, I don't know. Well, how old was it? 
I don't know. And how, like, what was, what strain or was it mixed or like, what was it? Well, I don't know. It was good. You know, I walked away from that. I mean, obviously, you know, these are younger adults and responsible adults, let me say. But, you know, I marveled at the lack of really knowing where or what they were smoking for, you know, came from. So, you know, I would say to people, look, you know, we're, we're simply trying to regulate, um, regulate how it's bought. We're trying to, you know, restrict youth access, you know, protect youth. I took a lot of lead from what I saw from Bill Blair. I got a lot of respect for Bill Blair, who was deemed kind of the lead person on behalf of our government to lead the charge, if you will, with respect to the legalization. And, you know, Bill used to tell me that, you know, they would, and Bill, just for, for, for your listeners, Bill was the chief of police of Toronto. Um, you know, you, you may remember him through the SARS, um, you know, epidemic or whatever you want to call it back then. Um, and, you know, Bill said, look, you know, I saw um, what the wrong drugs, if you will, including some poorly mixed or badly mixed cannabis did to people. Um, I saw who was selling it. I saw a criminal element that was involved in the sale of cannabis. Um, there was a black market and not controlled black market. And, you know, he said, look, you know, the way to get our hands around this, a way to protect public health, um, a way to reduce the burden on the criminal system um, will be to allow adults to, you know, possess and access regularly quality controlled cannabis. Um, in addition to um, users, if you will, to have, um, you know, some uh, plants um, in in their their house or their apartment or what have you. So, you know, again, we had lots of people, Jeff, Chris, come in and say, you know, this is going to be the ruination of our country, um, availing this to young adults in particular. And I just, you know, would calmly go back and say, look, you know, where do you buy most of your beer? Well, we buy it at the beer store. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but where do you buy your vodka and your rum and your spirits and your wine? <clears throat> well, we buy most of it at the liquor store. Okay. Well, you know, obviously there was a period of prohibition. And, you know, alcohol was forced to the black market. The criminal element, um, organized crime gained. So, like, why, why as a government wouldn't we want to, I hesitate to use the word control, but to control, regulate, standardize, get our hands around the sale of cannabis. It's safer. We take out the criminal element, mostly, and um, hey, there's some tax revenue there too. 
there is a huge tax benefit to the country. Yeah. I think that, and I, I, listening, listening to the story that you're telling, um, that's sort of one of the things that drove me nuts and drives me nuts is that there was this, there's this huge negative mythology around cannabis use that sort of emerged in the U.S. in the early 1900s, and it just perpetuated and got worse. Um, and there was all kinds of economic reasons for it as well. But what, right. but what, but what you said, Chief Blair was saying, is the story that most people would have gotten. Right? Uh, there's yeah. the criminal element, um, that old saw from the U.S. and their ill-conceived war on drugs. If you yeah. buy cannabis, you're you're supporting terrorists. Yeah. Well, we were supporting organized crime. We weren't supporting terrorists. There's right. a rather large gap there. Has the sentiment changed among your colleagues since legalization? Oh, um, I mean, look, I, I, I can't speak for all of my colleagues, but you know, I think that it's been it's been highly successful the legalization of cannabis. I think we've proven that it can um it can, it can happen and like i said earlier the sky's not going to fall in and and i think it's a responsible thing to do and you know not only for those that want to you know whether it's you know inhale or consume or um you know whether it's oil or what have you but you know like the relaxing benefits the social benefits, but let's not also forget the the medicinal benefits. When I was campaigning um, last year, I went was down. I was in the West Side. I knocked on a door, and a lady answered the door. And she was a lovely, lovely lady, and the lady was easily in her eighties, easily spry, and just was kind of taking off her coat and hanging it up. So I'm like, oh, you're just getting in? Yeah, I just. Came back from the cannabis New Brunswick store. Oh yes, dear. Oh yes, the um, CBD oil has changed my life. I have heard that a thousand times, and I like, have the so I've got the trifecta yeah. right. I've got yeah. you know anxiety, depression, cancer. I can run through a list. And yep. I can honestly tell you that that is that's my experience as well. CBD and combine that with THC and you get the entourage effect. And all of a sudden. Everything's a little bit better. Right. So, you know, and Jeff, yes. And. So, of course, I was, you know, curious and certainly intrigued by this wonderful lady. So I said, oh, yes, dear, I get some oil. And, you know, I put a little oil in my. However, she administered, you know, one drop or two drops or whatever it was. And she said, dear, it takes my arthritis pain away and it helps me sleep. And God love her. People don't understand the benefits of cannabis, but people don't understand the, the total package, especially people like, you know, anti-inflammatory. Um, anxiety, depression, like you said, um, the, 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 the health sleep benefits, because you know, what happens is 
and I, I went through this in Parliament Hill and in my constituency office, you know, the legalization of cannabis. And people immediately think of Cheech and Chong. They think of these two drugged out guys in the back of a van with smoke pouring out the windows. And, and, and these people are like, hey, man, what's up? You know, does that happen? Of course. Name me, you compare cannabis to alcohol, and you tell me about the health benefits of alcohol versus cannabis. And it's not even close. And but it's not that, you know, it's gotta be one over the other or one at the expense of the other. Like, look, I'm a beer drinker. I love my moose head light. The the industry. And look, I went to the first, you know, World Cannabis Conference that was here. Uh, you know, I forget now, guys, three years back now. And I was blown away by the presentations, the information, the networking, the worldwide interest, and the respect that, hey, Canada did it. And yes, there are states that have, have done it, but you know, it's not a, you know, a coast to coast, uh, United States, uh, uh, free for all down there. But look, I, I, I think the industry still has a ton of work to do to promote the health benefits in particular, like, you know, and again, I suffered, I suffered from anxiety, um, in my twenties. Suffered, suffered in silence, anxious everywhere I went, um, restricted well, you know, in, where in, I now, went. Now, in defense yeah. of all of your friends, Wayne, we we did ask you to come down to the pit with us on more than one occasion. And to, well, for full disclosure, uh, Wayne and I attended university together. Yes, well, indeed. Wayne attended university. I showed up. Well, there's, no, there's I. There's a subtle I, difference. I attended, studied. And played cards. You attended and played cards. That would be about it. That would be <laughs> that would be the magic there. The and I think that's the critical piece is that we still have that stigma about us that we're all stoners, that we're not accomplished professionals, that we're not right. we're not mainstream. Um, we're as mainstream as you get. When your great grandmother is going down to the pot shop and picking up oil, and when granddad is rolling a spliff in the garage before he settles in to do a little bit of woodworking, or it was far more pervasive throughout society. And the interesting thing to me was the number of people that came to me on the 18th and said, Where do I get this? Because now it's legal and I can try it. Yeah. And I was blown away by that because I thought that I thought that the subculture was going to sort of maintain the the vanguard of it. And we weren't going to see this influx of, of new consumers. Yeah. Um, I welcome them, uh, but yeah. I, I didn't expect it. And, and I guess that comes from a position of a deeply entrenched <laughs> culture. Uh, I've been an advocate and an activist and yeah, you have. grower forever. Yeah. Um, so it's I have a different perspective on it. And sometimes I'm not the most pleasant person to speak to when the subject of legalization comes up. I yeah. tend to, I tend to get pretty angry pretty fast. 
Um, I mean, but I, I think I've avoided it. Um, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll just jump in. I think it's, you know, one of the things that we did right. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously I'm a little biased here. I think we did many things right. A few things, you know, I think we cer certainly could have been done in a different way. But I think we did this right. And I mean, you know, you can you can drill down and argue, um, you know, cannabis, New Brunswick and, you know, should that be. Uh, government or privatized. I mean, that's that's kind of another whole ball of wax to me. I mean, to me, um, the stores are in good locations. They're professional. Um, all good in my world. And like I say, it'll take time. But guys, it's only been two years. Yep. Correct. And to me. There's a world of change in just acceptance. Like the guy who brings, you know, whatever. The guy who brings the gummies or the the joints to the party isn't the 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 druggy criminal anymore. You know, it's just it's just it just takes time. It's human nature. People are all you know all oh, the. You know, society's going to change forever and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, well, you know, I hope not because I'm certainly supporting this. And look, I'm I'm proud of what we've done. Um, I stand by it. Um, I'll, you know, like I say, being on the inside um, of caucus, the debates that happened, you know, prior, which obviously I would never divulge. But, you know, there was heated discussions about it. Um but um, common sense prevailed, and um, as a government, we did the right thing. And Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This has been uh, Wayne Long, the uh, MP for the writing of St. John Rosse. Wayne, thanks for the, the work you do. We appreciate mm -hmm. you taking the time to speak with us, and we absolutely look forward to seeing you again uh, in a less COVID-fraught environment perhaps at O'Leary's over the table and we can have a real chat and have a good laugh together again for the first time in years. It'd be, a, it'd be great to see uh, you guys, uh, all three of you anytime. From Weedners of the East Coast, Wayne Long, thank you so much. We'll speak again. So yeah, that was really was a, a far ranging conversation. I think I think the beauty of, of talking to somebody like Wayne Long, um, he's so he's so willing to share information with you. Really, all you need to do is wind him up and let him go, and you uh, you get a you get a great interview and you get great information. So I'm really happy with this, and I'm looking forward to this review that Wayne mentioned. And I really hope that those of you who are listening, reach out to your MP, reach out to your MLA, get your voice heard. Let's change these laws and involve them so that we can do what we want to do without interference from government. What's up next, Chris? And yes, we would like to thank Wayne Long for taking the time. That actually was only one piece of a much longer interview that was uh, done with Wayne. So we really want to thank him for taking that time. And we're hoping we're going to get to use the rest of that. But for now, we're going to flip it over to Grower Bing for Cultivator's Corner. Thanks, Whiskey Geek. Next up, Cultivator's Corner, where Canna Mouse and I sat down to talk about things you need to think about when you are growing outdoors and when you are preparing. 
I think the important thing to note before we start anything is that we're still in a COVID-19 situation, which means we're still doing things in our basements, which means that you can hear my dogs squabbling in the background. So that's going to add another layer of texture to the Weed Nerds of the East Coast podcast, at least for a while. So what we're going to talk about today here, and I guess we'll have to call our cultivator's corner. Why not? Um... We're talking about outdoors and we're talking about getting ready to go outdoors and what you need to be thinking about so in terms of the grow cycle where we are in atlantic canada at this point in the year late april you should be thinking about your soil strategy you've already got your seeds germinated they're well underway or your cuttings are doing well and they're really starting to take off now like they should be somewhere around eight to ten inches thing in height at this point at least and you should be looking thinking about moving them to their their transit transitory pot something certainly a gallon or larger um, I would probably opt with three myself but that's just me um, and you want to get a really good veg going so that's going to help you with, with that but in a really short time and it's going to creep up really fast June will come fast it's time to plant and the decisions you're about to make will make or break your grow. I've proved that to myself a thousand times. Bing, I think you've proved it 10,000 times because you've got extensive experience outdoors um, in more of a gorilla setting where I was always outdoors hidden behind the shed. It was a completely different way of doing it. What? Who told you that? I want to say that neither Bing or myself are soil experts per se. Um, we're more engaged in the technology side and professionally. So this is our hobby. We are enthusiastic amateurs and I want to be really clear about anything that we tell you. We're telling you what works for us. This is our Tao. This is our way. Um, and I've done pretty well with what I do. Um, have I killed a plant or two? Uh, hell yeah. That's important to kill your plants. Actually. It's important to kill plants sometimes. Um, now, the other thing I want to tell you is that the mix that I will share with you on weednerds.com and the method for mixing it up is not my formula. It's not my creation. I uh, am a devoted follower, was a devoted follower of the late great Subcool, as were you. May he rest in peace. In fact, we were both very excited that Subcool followed us on Instagram Yep. just prior to his death. So um, that was pretty cool for both of us. And he actually engaged in a couple of uh, interactions, so we were pretty pleased about that. He certainly was someone that was very available to his fans. And any questions you had about his mix, which he's very famous for, he was always there to answer your questions. And, uh, you know... He's a great grower, and that's really the kind of spirit of what we want to be. And that's part and parcel of being a weed nerd as well, is that you sort of get engaged in the history. You start to learn the names, and you start to, to focus on sort of a little pantheon of gods, if you will. I've got mine. Bing's got his. I'm sure everybody has their own. I mean, Rosenthal Cervantes, um, Subcool. Yeah, DJ Short. DJ Short, Kyle Cushman, Danny Danko. Danny Danko. Um Steve D'Angelo, all Jack Herrer, all big, big, big 
people in my world and in my view anyway. Onward. So, Bing, what do you think for you? What is the single most important consideration when you're planning to go outdoors? Timing. Timing. Everything is about timing. I think that you have to you have to know when your target date is that you're going to put your plants outside and that's based on you know your local climate and whether you have a greenhouse or if you're putting them right outside and you have to check the weather for frost and freezing and make sure you know when you want to put your plants out and you got to have a good idea of when that is and you got to work backwards from that point you know that it's going to take from your cutting or your seed at least five weeks so you need to think five weeks before your plant date and you want to give yourself a little buffer because you know what's the worst that could happen your plants are a little bigger and we've 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 argued about this particular subject more than once um my view is a slightly different um i do i do concern myself with that last frost which for where we are can come as late as the first week of june um but I think that by properly hardening your plant in May, um, you get, and having a really good veg on it, that late frost is not going to be substantial enough. Now, this is something that I think that works for me. It's not for everybody because I veg for a very long time. I'm an eight-weeker at a minimum before I go outdoors. Um, so my plants will look fairly well established and fairly large and I plant the ground which is another difference um, so I'm not really exposed that way but at the end of it all around here eastern Canada June 7th seems to be sort of a good average date yep I know dirt. I know you're a big fan of uh, following the farmer's almanac and you I think that there um, I like to follow the moon cycle, and I think that really, the depending on when the full moons are in May and June, you're you've got a good chance that you're not going to get another frost after the a few days after the full moon. And yep. so, if the full moon comes in June, and if it's June fifteenth, and then I don't plant till June eighteenth, and you know people say that might be late, but you know you can keep them indoors and they'll be growing just as much as they would outdoors maybe not quite as much and they'll be safer and then you can put them outside after you know the last frost is coming i always trust the the moon and cycle which usually makes me a little more conservative because i've been burned a few times and uh i've been i've, I've lost plants to frost and that's just my way of doing it. That's the beauty of growing is that everyone yep. has their own way. And, you know, I respect yours and I understand that there are, are you know, benefits to your method. And it's, it's, it's funny that, that we're both, we're both science guys. We're right? both nerds. We're both nerds for sure. Um, and we have our mythology. I have mine. I know I do. I, I, I work hard to defeat it all the time. I know you have it as well. So it's interesting to get the, the two different takes on basically the same idea. The second big consideration is what are you planting in, I think? What is your substrate? Mm -hmm. What is your container? Those are the two biggies. Yep. I have traipsed into the woods looking for the clear cut like everybody else has 
packing everything with me, hoping I had a nearby source of water, knowing that I really shouldn't go back more than once or twice between now and harvest. And I know you've done that a time or two. <laughs> I've done it once. Yeah, we've all had our dabbles out in the woods. And uh, I think, you know, in that time it was, you know, grab a bag of well-rotted sheep manure because that's really about as much as you could carry. Get enough of that with you and, and then mix up the soil that you found in the ground. Put what water you could in. Hope like hell that everything worked out. That is sort of the beginning of the adventure. And most of us growing in the backyard are going to start with something like a, like a pro mix for vegetables and herbs. Um, or whatever our, our significant other or, or mother has in their potting shed, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to make the horrible... We're going to make the horrible decision that miracle Grow is a good idea. You're going to get past that really fast, I promise, if you're a new grower. But the soil is a big deal. I have a clay substrate around me. Uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your ground like? My ground has been poured over the years by various uh, contractors. It's not suitable for growing. But uh, now that we are in a legal cannabis situation where everyone can grow in their backyards you know i think those days of having to run in the woods and use what you have and hope for the best are over and now we can really take our growing to the next level and be scientists and nerds about it and you know there's there's different methods some people are going to be making their sub cool and i think uh, i see a big pile of yours in the backyard there cooking for the last two weeks excellent yeah and uh Personally, I use uh, ProMix, just straight up substrate, and I use chemical nutrients. Now, do you use ProMix like a high porosity, or do you look for water retention? I'm looking for anything with mycorrhizae and anything with a lot of perlite or vermiculite. So, if you're if you're a ProMix fan, that would be ProMix MX, and uh, or or an HP, which was just the high porosity, but MX is also a high porosity soil. So, that's really important where we are. It's particularly important for me because I not only container plant, I plant in ground. Um, I have a ve- I'm very fortunate. I have a near perfect southern exposure. Um, I have wicked quality of light. I have really consistent temperature, and it's just a big win. And whatever I put in the ground without fail exceeds eight feet. This year I'm going for a little bit more. I'm hoping that my new take on the mix will get me there. Again, I'm going to share this on WeedNerds.com, um, and I'll explain what everything does, why it's there, just so you have a good understanding of what we're working with. But essentially, the soil that I prefer and the soil that I believe Bing prefers is the subcool or our variant of it. So, you know, worm castings, um, glacial rock dust, basaltic rock dust, so I get the, the azomite. Um, because sometimes you're not going to find the ingredients that you're looking for specifically. So you got you have to know what you're buying and what you're using. Yeah, and your phosphates and the big the, the big acid. the tough one for me is mineralized phosphate. That's what I'm using this year. I would prefer to be using straight up bat guano. Um, that can be difficult to get in quantity, especially since it's not legal. Yeah. So that sort of leaves you with that one alternative, although. If you're KG, you could probably get some your hands on some bat guano. 
but the mineralized phosphate works just as well, and it, it's it's uh, it's basically the same thing. Uh, we mix it all up really well, let it cook for 45 to 60 days. Then I'll add in some microbes and some mic. Uh, I use uh, Dr. Mary Jane this year is what I wanted to use for my for my mycorrhiza. Mm-hmm. Where did you get that from? I got that from a local shop here in town in St. John, New Brunswick called uh, Mr. Music. Uh-huh. Um, so a big shout out to Mr. Music on that one. Now, you're pretty close to the same thing for your mix that you if you that you would mix up if you're doing that this year. Well, I am doing a small soil mix. I'm getting some compost and soil and worm castings. I'm not doing the subcool recipe. I'm not getting quite into it as detailed, but uh, you know, you don't have to get all those ingredients. That was definitely the soil that I have seen just creates monsters. Yes. But if you're a beginner and you and you don't know if you want to uh, make that kind of financial investment in all those ingredients, then at least worm castings, just like worm castings, add worm yep. castings to your soil. That stuff is amazing. And save some of them for later and top coat with them when they, when they start flowering just to give them that extra boost of PK. Yep, absolutely. Um, anything you can put into your, into your grow that's organic. The thing about the subcool mix is that you don't require nutrients. Um, I'm a master of benign neglect. Um, <laughs> yeah, just water. That's it. I, and in fact, I rarely water in my yard because of my little microclimate around me is, is phenomenal. Um, it's not really a requirement for me. Um, but I also container plant and I use, well, the minimum size for outdoors is 15 gallons. You can't break that rule if you do you're not going to have a good time your plant's not going to do as well as it could um what size do you prefer um i've been getting bigger every year and it seems no matter how big i get my plants get bigger i started with seven then i went to 10 then i went to 20 i don't know i think maybe just the bigger your pots the, the bigger, bigger your pot yeah the bigger right. your pot. that's that's right. that's axiomatic absolutely for sure and always true which is why i love planting in the ground um, so you're going to be using, you're going to be using a, a prepared mix, pro mix, MX in your case, there's all kinds out there. Um, I've had great success with happy frog, ocean forest. Um, there are a couple of prepared versions of super soil that I have tried and I will be blunt. They did not perform full stop. I was into nutrients within within the first month. Um, there are a couple new ones on the market uh, that are, in my opinion, phenomenal, but I'm using them indoors to test. Uh, I don't know how they're going to perform outdoors. Uh, and, I, and frankly, they're so bloody expensive that I, I don't want to do it because even a half batch of, of Subcool... Um, really getting really good source on on the on the inputs is still going to run you 300 bucks that's yeah i think i think probably more like 500 that'd be more of a full batch though right i did a half so it was about 300 but i also got some good pricing so shop around make sure you're getting a great deal and make sure you're using the highest quality product you can use um and you're going to get the best results but again Nothing wrong with 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 using a a, a premix soil. 
Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of people and have great success just using regular topsoil with something organic like manure mixed in. Yep. And then, like I said, add your worm castings and, you know, maybe if you wanted to get add some bone meal or blood meal, you can get them just at your local hardware store and and, and mix it all in, add some lime, lime and and... And you got yourself a nice, cheap alternative to, you know, these professional uh, super soils. Not only that, you can actually, these soils that we're mixing are, are incredibly rich. And at the end of the season, they're not depleted. What do you do with them? You can either throw them into the compost to enrich that, or even better, you can throw it into your vegetable garden and let it sit for the winter and plant in that and look forward to monster tomatoes killer tomatoes absolutely killer tomatoes i've seen your tomato plants they it's, are ridiculous. Uh, it's ridiculous so that's that's another thing you can do and 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 a companion plant with with cannabis is is always a good idea uh, i wanted to mention one uh, word of advice to people who are going to be using super soils something that i learned over a few grows using super soil and that i was told by some experts well the thing about super soil is that we cook it for 60 days to get it a little less hot it is hot hot soil it is very hot yeah that's what i'm trying to say and um you you don't want to plant your plant directly into this super soil because it's so hot and it's going to take your your young plant and that has not been exposed to the these you know very hot mix and unless you've baked it very well and you're mixing it and you've added some, you know, something to some soil to it. But for most people, they're going to plant their plants into this super soil and they don't understand why their plants are, are, are struggling. And it's because they're burning. And what I do is add some promix around where you're going to plant. So when your plants start to root, they're, they're not in the compost. They're not in the super soil. They're in a little buffer of promix where they can just settle into the new home and then the roots will go down and find the, the super soil and then your plants will really take off. And the nutrients from, from the soil will, will saturate and permeate the root ball that you put in there as well. Um, and that's, that's really, really important. If you're planting containers, it's the bottom half and then make a well and fill that well with promix as, as Bing noted and then surround it with promix you're off to the races. If you're planting in the ground or if you're planting in the large mounds in raised beds, the same thing is true. Yeah, you want to dig down probably in low. 12, 12 to 18 inches so that you can have your layer of super soil. And you will not you will not regret that decision. It, it really does cause your plants to take off very, very quickly by doing it that way. And I think the last note is what can you do how else are you going to deal with your with your soil over the course of your grow? What are you going to plan for? What can you prepare? Compost teas. It's, you know, you don't need to get those going right now, but think about that. Worms. Worms, worms, worms. People sell these things everywhere. Buy a couple of buckets and throw them into your garden. You will not regret it. Beneficial uh, insects, ladybugs, mantis, whatever you can get your hands on. If you can get these creatures, get them and introduce them to your garden you'll be very happy that you did. Any closing thoughts on ground prep and soil? I think, um, no, I think I'm okay with it. 
I think this is a great place to end this particular segment. Back to the four of us. <laughs> that was a really that was a really fun chat thing. Um, we really should have kept rolling. Uh, we ended up uh, spending about another twenty minutes, and I'm not kidding, talking about the action on three different pairs of trimming scissors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we really cut short, <laughs> no pun intended, the <laughs> some topics that we really could have spoken about, but we just ran out of time. And I guess we'll have to serve them up on another episode. The nice thing is, if you're following us on Facebook, uh, on Weed Nerds of the East Coast, uh, or the soon-to-come uh, website, theweednerdchronicles.com, you'll be able to pick up a lot more additional content that we're creating. Uh, one thing that I've already put up that will be in the blog post as you're listening to this is the actual directions for my subcool variant. Um, all of the ingredients, how to do it, everything you need to know, all in one go. That's going to be posted on our Facebook page. And ultimately, when we finally get the site done on uh, theweednerdchronicles.com. Chris, back to you. That was excellent. Thank you, Canamouse and Grower Bing. Now we have Barty Meatman. He's going to cover High Diaz. Welcome. This is High Diaz. You might ask what High Diaz is. Well, let me explain. High Diaz started when I first started smoking weed in the meat shed. I had just had a conversation with Grower Bing and Canamos, and we were discussing him trying to basically, how to basically better flush a plant um, instead of putting it in a tote and then drowning it. I had a, I was happened to be in the meat shed, relaxing in a chair with a joint, and it came to me. I saw basically some PVC pipe I had been farting around with, and the idea popped in my head, hey, why not just build a table with a wire mesh on top out of the PVC pipe, put it together, and we have the Billingsley 3000 flooding table. And let me tell you, I have been using it with quite success ever since he built it for me. I think we should patent it. I remember this conversation clearly. Um, we were talking about draining and filling and emergency flushes and how to do that really well and yeah that was the birth of the billingsley 3000 fill and drain table i actually built a variant of the billingsley 3000 uh, for my own use um it's a brilliantly well thought out design you can see a picture of it on our facebook page and soon you'll be able to see a picture of it plus a number of other ideas that barty meatman has come up with and implemented and created for us all uh, on theweednerdchronicles.com coming soon to a web browser near you. My favorite thing about ideas is that the word ideas was a idea. It was a idea. I think I was like smoking and then I was like, we should call it ideas. I think my favorite thing to come out of ideas, though, thus far, has been the Barty Meatman Fleischklammer. The Fleischklammers. 
Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how this even happened. We were we were talking about one of the ideas, and for some reason, I decided to translate it into German. So at some point, we're going to be talking about Barty Meatman's meat clips. Uh, if you hear anybody on the show sing out Fleischklammer, what we're doing is just sort of making fun of the ideas and and trying to have a laugh. That's another thing about this particular podcast, and I'm sort of going off script here. We've developed a number of little inside jokes that I hope all of you who are listening will become part of. Um, they make life just a little bit easier, and it's kind of fun to do. What's uh, what's coming up on ideas for you in the next episode, Barty Meatman? Well, there, there's many, many ideas. I, I'm having trouble nailing down just one, but I think by the next episode, I'll have one dialed in. Is that because you're participating fully in the 420 lifestyle? I am. And we've got some late-breaking news for this inaugural episode of Weed Nerds of the East Coast, the 420. Oh, what is it, Jeff? Tell us. Inquiring minds want to know. For the past several weeks, I've been consulting with a company out of Israel called High Grade, and they make a cannabis testing tool called High Grade, and it's a very simple tool. It attaches to your smartphone, um, and it uses AI in the background to help you determine with your dried cannabis your THC content, plus or minus 3%. A professional-grade tester costs you about mm, $14,000. A mid-grade tester costs about $2,000. A high-grade the simple little tool costs about $70. And we're going to give three of them away. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to get one. Over to you, Chris. Next up, Weed Nerds of the Round Table. We nerds at the round table, we smoke whenever we're able. We roll our dubs, we teach the noobs with info impeccable. We grow weed here and know a lot. I like to trim my plants a lot. All right, so now we have a couple of questions. First off, we have a shout out to Chris LaFrancois, who sent this question via the Weed Nerds Facebook page. His question is, how do you properly dry weed? in an unheated garage after harvest, especially if your weed is done late in the season and it's cold out. Short answer, you don't. You need to do something to keep the temperature somewhere around 20 and you need to be dark and you need to have your, your humidity dialed in somewhere between 50 and 60. Those are the hard, fast rules of getting a good dry. I would say, you know, uh, use one of those... Um, the uh, just buy a box and build a little drying rack inside a large moving box. You're good to go. I think that might at least get you part of the way there. But outside of that, I would say don't dry it in the garage if you cannot at all avoid it. Gerbing, I would have to agree with Canamos. It's just a bad idea. Wet plus cold equals mold, period. So you got to keep the temperature up. However you want to do it, that's up to you. Party. Um, I mean, Jeff's idea about the moving box, you can get the wardrobe boxes at like 
Home Depot. It's already got the the rack on top. Use one of those. I mean, at least get some sort of heating element in the garage because yeah, as Crowbring said, wet and cold equals mold. Yeah, no, no open flames though. Obviously, like just a light bulb, something like that that you can shield and sort of keep the light away from the weed because you don't want any light on it either. No smoking your weed early. All right. Our next question comes from Joe Paler. Uh, he wrote to us on Facebook and he asked, what's the best way to determine sex? I'm assuming we're talking about seeds here. And when should you start watching? So he's using growing bag seed and he's asking for a friend. The question itself sort of is sort of what's the official way to know? And that is you've got to be looking at the points where the stem meets the stalk uh, or, or anywhere else where you've got that kind of conjunction. And you need to do this at about week three, week four. Um, that's when a male will start to show preflower. It's distinctly different from female preflower um, in that it looks like a little ball, whereas a female preflower looks like a little spike. And that usually shows up sometime around week four to week six. That's the, the sort of standard way, but there are other ways of, of doing it and being more sure about it. Bing? Well, since he said it was a bag seed and that he doesn't know if it's a male or female, because I would always say just the best way to know is to know. Get, make sure yeah. that you're getting, make sure you're getting your clone from a female or make sure you're getting a feminized seed. But if you don't know, you know, one trick you can do is you can take a cutting off your plant and then force it in. Once it roots, you can force it into flower and then you can get that quicker than the four weeks. You can do it in a couple of weeks. It'll show signs once you force it into flower. Party. Um, there's a special way that my ancestors taught me. You do a little dance in the pale moonlight. Then you take it out for supper. You know, I'm leaving that shit in. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Oh. Already oh. Me, man. oh, I For couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. For the win. And our final question comes from Mike Whiteley or Whitley uh, from Facebook. He wrote in, he asked, mushrooms, good or bad when they grow in your pot? I'm assuming he's not talking about the magic kind. Growing up in my house with my dad, mushrooms were the enemy if mushrooms showed up on the lawn or anywhere else they were to be eradicated they were the enemy so i developed a mythology about mushrooms in my own little head and that sort of continued to this day if i see mushrooms i still go eh. but the truth is that generally speaking mushrooms are a sign of healthy soil so if you're seeing it outside the soil is healthy It'll support mushrooms. If you're seeing it inside, your soil is healthy. It's supporting mushrooms. Still makes me a little sketchy um, because the other reality is that while your soil is healthy, it is also cold and damp, which is not necessarily the best condition for the roots of your plant. You don't want damping off. You don't want to cause root rot. Bearing in mind that Mycorrhiza is also a fungus and a beneficial one, and the mycelium that it spreads out is um, very beneficial to the plant. Nothing wrong with mushrooms. 
just be aware that you now have cold, damp soil. Bing, your take? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's the right answer. Um, you know, I was going to say how, how cold is it in the room and maybe how cold is the water that you're using to water it and is is it too cold? Because, that you know, that's usually a sign of your organic compost uh, being ripe for, for mushrooms. It's the right conditions for mushrooms. And the, the fungus, the spores are also opportunistic, right? Like you can be outside, pick them up and bring them in. And next thing you know, you've got the right conditions and uh, viola, you've got mushrooms. Barty. Um, I mean, I've never had it happen. So, I mean, I, I would have picked up the phone and called Cat and Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, I got mushrooms! And I would have said, I'll be right over. And for our roundtable question, everybody will get a shot at this one. The question is, what comes to your mind as a mistake that rookie growers make? And what is your advice on how to alleviate it? Miracle grow. My advice is don't. Bing? I would say choosing the wrong strain. Uh... You know, some people choose something that they find on the internet or some cool picture and they decide they want to get some seeds and grow it. And then they find out that it doesn't start flowering on them until September. And by the time October and November roll around when their plant is starting to produce buds, it's just too late. It's freezing at night and you're going to get bud rot. So make sure you choose a strain that you know can be grown in your area. Talk to the local growers. There's communities out there, such as Maritime Cannabis Cultivators, shameless plug, <laughs> where you can ask the local growers, what's a good strain for this area? And Barty. Don't buy cheap pH pens. Just don't do it. Because you're just going to have to keep on calibrating the goddamn things. pH is very important. You know, he makes a good point. If your pH, if you can't trust your pH pen, then you can't trust your water. And, and, and the pH of your of your water is everything. Amen to that. Unless you're growing, of course, unless you're growing with organic soil outdoors, then it's not really something you have to worry about. Cool. So you're saying uh, I should send that $20 Amazon pH pen that I bought back? <laughs> I'll just do my trick. Buy two of them. Yeah, that's well for that price. Actually, for twenty five bucks, you get a pH pen and a TDS meter or whatever. So I, I just find the the cheap ones. Yeah, like they they run out like every year. You replace them. No, like I, I find like once you use them once or twice, they're off the next time you like. Oh. This so is I'm, absolutely true. People do make a lot of mistakes with them, right? They don't keep the uh, they don't keep the probes damp. Um, they let them dry out. That's a bad thing to do. Right. It's always got to be at sort of a, a predictable pH. So just dump a little buffer in there and away you go. Yeah. Last year I knew, I knew my water was a pure seven. And so, but I had, all I had was the little water pH tester. And all I did with that was 
put the water that I was pouring in after I'd added the newts and added the the tester and I had the color change and so it was probably only within a, a half so I, I could know if it was a six a six and a half or a seven but I couldn't tell you if it was a 6.2 a 6.3 a 6.7 and yeah, but that's that's good enough for government service right exactly like, I'll tell you what my trick is I use two pH pens the cheap ones but as long as they're both reading the same, then I can trust that one of them hasn't gone. Now, if they're both reading different values, then I know that it's time to recalibrate both of them. That's cool. That's uh, that's pretty SMRT. That is, but by the time you spend the money on two, you could get a half-decent one for the amount you just spent on two cheap ones. Yeah, fair point. That's true, too. And the and uh, here endeth the nerds of the round table. And that brings us to the end of Weed Nerds of the East Coast for the inaugural episode, the 420 episode, episode one. And I got to say, it's been really, really fun to do this. It's been a really interesting process. And I think we've got the right people to do something really great here. And I hope that you're out there enjoying it. Don't forget that just by listening to us today, you have a chance to win a lovely uh, high-grade THC, in fact, a, a whole plant health assessment app and uh, the tool that comes with it. And to tell you how to do that is the lovely and talented Bing. Yes, all you have to do to win one of these three prizes that we will be giving away is share like subscribe any one of our socials and we're going to announce the winners next month on episode two of weed nerds of the east coast so uh engage with us on the socials for your chance thanks guys so this was fun enjoyed this whole process can't wait to do it again happy 420 thank you 420 guys happy 420 happy 420 and Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and come back for more. We're available on all your favorite podcast distribution sites as Weed Nerds of the East Coast. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at weednerds.eastcoast at gmail.com. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe to us on social media. We're on Twitter as nerds underscore weed, Instagram as weednerds.eastcoast, on Facebook as weednerds of the East Coast, and on the interwebs as theweednerdchronicles.com. For Canamouse, Grower Bing, and Barty Meatman, this is your producer, The Whiskey Geek, saying keep your crops dry and your bowl full. In the closet, you can grow it in the ground. You can buy by the baggy bag, buy by the pound. If you smoke them, you shake them in your head. We'll surely eat marijuana. Marijuana, marijuana, marijuana.
Doesn't matter where you're at, you can always smoke a bad. Doesn't matter where you're at, there's a dealer not to fire. So if you wanna get high, go on out and try marijuana.